energy. So the barber trims my beard all nice, like an artist. Now I didn't tell him to do that. I wanted the beard gone. So then I went home and shaved it off completely after I was done. I felt horrible. The passion. Rafael Devers has the biggest contract in franchise history. He needs to be a leader for this Red Sox team. The opinions on all your favorite teams. Are the Patriots close to playoff contention? Yes. Are they close to Super Bowl contention? Hell no. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show back at it here on a toasty Thursday on WDEV. We used to have Thirsty Thursday in college. Toasty Thursday today here in the WDEV studio. 91 outside. Trust me, about 191 inside here in the well, again, in this little studio. Not so much all not all of WDEV is scorching, just this room. Right now it is 531. That means we're on for 39 more minutes. Red Sox baseball comes up at 610. First pitch is 710. Sox looking to avoid a sweep. We'll talk some baseball with Buster Only coming up here in about 15 minutes. You can get in on the text line, 802-585-3026. Again, 802-585-3026. And, oh, by the way, we do have some very exciting news when it comes to to the text line. That's right. Very exciting. Now that it is June, we have a new sponsor of the text line. So it used to be the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. It is now the Ayers Auto Sales text line. So the Ayers Auto text line, 802-585-3026. We welcome them to be in part of the Brady Farkas show. Good stuff there again. Ayers Auto. You can get in. Again, at that number, always now for the next 38 minutes. I started working out again today. Uh, my goal is to lose the, uh, you know, lose the 10 pounds that I've put on in the last year and a half or so. Started working. It's never fun to get back into working out when you've taken a long time off. And I didn't take like a long time off, but I've taken enough time off to feel like I've got to get it all back. So I uh, I play hoops. That's great, but I only do that about one day a week. So now I, I was outside doing the workout video stuff, worked out outside, sweat. I was doing it early in the morning. It wasn't super hot yet, but I'm gonna I'm not going to walk straight tomorrow. I can already tell. Like, the legs are already that sore, but it is good to be back doing what a lot of you people do every single day and getting a chance to do it myself. Opening thoughts on the Brittany Farkas Show are brought to you by Six and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete, locally owned Own Center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sixandstuff.com. We're brought to you by Fecto Homes. Let go. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. Mac Jones took a shot at the Patriots yesterday. I really, really don't think he meant to, but he took a shot at the Patriots. So the Patriots are on the field yesterday at OTAs. And Mac Jones is asked a question about what is it like to work with Bill O'Brien? What is it like to have Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator for you here in Foxborough? Here's what Mac had to say. It's been really good. It's been normal. Um, I think everything he's done so far has been really good. I think the communication is the most important part um, and trust. I think it all starts with that when you're uh, with a new coach. And um, he's done a great job in controlling the room feel like everyone's on the same page. Uh, just got to continue to do it. It's it's a marathon, not a sprint. So we know that. And Mac Jones 
he may not have meant to. I, I truly believe he did not mean any malice in what he said. But yesterday, those comments are absolutely a shot at how the Patriots were run last year. Like, like how are they not a shot? Everything that Mac Jones said in that about Bill O'Brien is completely the opposite of what we eventually heard happened last year with Joe Judge. So it's a shot at Judge. It's a shot at Belichick, whether he meant it to be or not. Let's just go bit by bit and hear what Mac Jones has to say one more time and really parse it out. Um, I think everything he's done so far has been really good. I think the communication is... Okay, he started off by saying it's normal, right? It feels normal. Last year didn't feel normal. Hey, Bill Belichick, the position you put me in didn't feel normal. Then he says what you just heard. He says, oh, the communication. Yeah, we heard that Mac and Joe Judge didn't communicate well with each other. We heard about a screaming match on the field after the season. Let's move forward to what Mac has to say. The most important part um, in trust, I think it all. Trust? Yeah, I don't trust this guy. Very evident last year that there was no trust. We heard that Joe Judge was not well-liked. Clearly, there's no trust. Max calling the Alabama coaching staff because he doesn't trust what's happening in front of him in Foxborough. And what else, Mac? With a new coach, and um, he's done a great job in controlling the room. Controlling the room. Oh, that's there's another one. We heard that Joe Judge last year was trying to override Matt Patricia. We heard that he was trying to exercise authority. We heard that Joe Judge was trying to be the loudest voice in the room. Everything that Mac Jones says Bill O'Brien is doing is the opposite of what Joe Judge did last year or opposite of the position that Bill Belichick put Mac in last year. I feel like everyone's on the same page. Uh... Definitely wasn't the case last year, was it? Everybody's on the same page, Mac Jones says. That must be nice. We clearly weren't a year ago. Again, I don't think Mac Jones meant any malice by what he said. I don't. I think Mac Jones is just speaking the truth. What the problem is, is that Mac Jones' truth runs very counter to everything that happened a season ago. Okay, he, Joe Judge last year tried to be the loudest in the room. Bill O'Brien's a grown-up. Joe Judge, there was no trust there, no great communication. Mac Jones says, yeah, we've got that this year. Already we can tell. We're, we're a few days into OTAs, and I can already tell things are significantly better now than they were a year ago. It's that simple. Okay? It is that simple. The very When I first heard those comments by Mac Jones, my antenna raised up, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a shot. Again, he may not have meant it, but that's absolutely a shot at how things were done a year ago. Mac comes in, or O'Brien comes in, and the thing looks normal. The thing looks like it's supposed to look. Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston confirmed that. You know, there's some normalcy now that you have an experienced offensive play caller, offensive coordinator on the staff who can function on his own, and it looked like he was functioning on his own. He was off to the sideline. He was walking or talking into the walkie-talkie, relaying plays to his quarterbacks. Everything seemed smooth, Tom. I think Mac Jones benefited in a positive way, but I'm sure Bailey Zappi did as well. And Think about what Phil Perry said there. It looked normal. It looked like Bill O'Brien could function on his own. Evidently, Joe Judge last year could not function on his own. And that is a huge problem. When you hear that, I know we want to let the past be the past. And, oh, last year was last year. But, damn, Bill Belichick, how could you put Mac Jones in a position to where his coach couldn't even function on his own? Like, here is what I'm picturing. 
let's picture that you have a youth baseball team and you have a group of dads that don't really know what they're doing, right? They're well-intentioned, they're good guys, but they don't really know what they're doing. They're just kind of out there babysitting. Then you bring in a guy who's coached high school and he knows instantly what to do. Here are the drills that need to happen. Here's where everyone needs to be lined up. Here's the positioning. And you can just see a difference behind it. Like you can just, you can very easily see the difference between dad youth coach and high school coach that comes in and takes over very easily. That's an extreme example, but it's very easy to paint that picture. That's what I picture last year was like with Joe Judge. That Joe Judge looks like the group of dads out there that is just kind of put there and doesn't know what he's doing. Whereas Bill O'Brien now is that high school coach who comes in and just kind of gets everybody in line. Like that's that's what I'm picturing. What what happened last year was gross, and we can't keep belly aching about it. But I'm gonna belly ache about it here for a second. When I hear Mac Jones say that things are normal, and I hear Phil Perry say that he looks like he can operate on his own, I'm just thinking, how the hell did we not have that a year ago? And the Patriots didn't have it a year ago. Peter and Williston says, given what former players with the Giants and the Lions have said, it's no surprise that there are communications issues with Joe Judge and Matt Patricia and Mac Jones from last year. It's not all Joe Judge, but I think I truly think that Joe Judge is at the main crux of this. And therefore, I think Bill Belichick is also. I give Matt Patricia more of a pass because here is what I think happened last year. I think Bill Belichick put Mac Jones in a very unwinnable situation. That's on Bill Belichick. Okay, Then, I don't know that Matt Patricia would have been a good play caller. But I know he certainly wasn't given an opportunity to succeed given the dynamics that he was dealing with. Right? He's got a co-coordinator, essentially, in Joe Judge. He's got Joe Judge breathing down his neck, trying to override him. Oh, by the way, Matt Patricia is also trying to coach the offensive line and can't give full attention to his quarterback and can't give full attention to the actual play calling because he's got to be a positional coach for the offensive line. So I don't know that Matt Patricia would have been a good play caller, but I believe that he was not given a chance to succeed because therefore he wasn't prepared because he had Judge breathing down his neck and he had another job to be doing. Joe Judge and Bill Belichick, I think, are at fault here. Belichick for the setup and Judge for not making life easier on Patricia and for trying to be the loudest voice in the room. It's nice to hear Max say things are normal this year, but damn, it's crazy that they weren't normal last year. It's the Bertie Farkas Show brought to you by Fecto Homes on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We're going to talk to Buster here momentarily, but it's just a piece of Celtics news. Brad Stevens did confirm that Joe Mazzulla is going to be back as head coach today, right? He confirmed that he's going to be back as head coach today. I thought that he would. I thought he deserved it. He also said that uh, that Joe Mazzulla will get a, a – not better is the wrong word, but a more veteran assistant. They are certainly looking for a veteran voice on the bench in his ear. That's good. It's everything that I thought was going to happen. Now – he can't talk contracts. He can't talk about Jalen Brown. So he couldn't say any of that stuff. But as far as the coaching, he said that he's bringing back Missoula 
and they are looking for a more appropriate assistant coach setup for him. That's what I expected. I think that's generally good news. We'll have more on on the Celtics tomorrow with what Brad Stevens had to say today. We'll get some of that audio cut up. The Red Sox are trying to avoid being swept. It was ugly last night late in that loss to the Reds, right? The Rafael Devers air leading to the eventual Spencer Steer home run there that won the game. Sox tried to come back late, ultimately lost at 5-4. What's going on? Where are the Sox at? Buster Olney of ESPN, our MLB insider and Vermont native, joins us next on DEV. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show here on this Thursday, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Up until 6-10 tonight, then more Red Sox baseball. Sox taking on the Reds. Game three of three at Fenway. Sox looking to avoid a sweep here. And uh, the Sox come into this one 28-27, also trying to stay over 500. Joining us now is Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider. Buster, happy Thursday. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, yeah, that's been an interesting series because I, I think, uh, you know, casual fan would say, boy, how can you lose the Cincinnati Reds? But as you know, that is a team that is gathering some great young talent. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see uh, how this series wraps up. Yeah, Hunter Green today against Chris Sale. This is actually a very intriguing pitching matchup. Sale, obviously, we know he is back and has been back for the last three starts or so. Green, while his record is 1-4, is certainly one of the top young arms in baseball, and he just threw six no-hit innings his last time out against the Cubs. What are fans who haven't seen Hunter Green going to see today? Fastballs and fastballs and more fastballs. <laughs> you know, in recent years, Jacob deGrom, uh, you know, caught the attention of, of a lot of folks uh, because of how hard he was thrown, consistently 99 to 100 miles per hour. Well, that's Hunter Green, uh, and he's someone who – uh, as he gains command, I, I think he's going to, uh, you know, move from being in the, you know, like the third echelon of pitchers to being the very top echelon of pitchers because his stuff is elite. He has dominant stuff, and I haven't spent time with him, but I've heard nothing but great things about him as a person. There's a lot of confidence that he's going to wind up being a big factor for the Reds you know it's interesting the Sox are 28 and 27 again they're in last place but you know they're certainly in the playoff race especially when you include the wild card and I see a lot of people saying hey it's June 1st it's time to make some moves it's time to go out and get some things to add to this roster and Buster I'm trying to figure out where exactly you would do that because they're not a whole lot out on the trade market especially now we've talked a little bit about this the teams that are really bad I feel like you don't want their players or they have such young players that they don't want to give up and everybody else is kind of still within shouting distance so I don't really know how many sellers there actually are no and the refrain that I keep on hearing from folks with other teams is among the teams that are out of it like the Oakland Athletics who do you really want from those right. rosters you know, they're bits and pieces, and, and this is why uh, executives anticipate that this will be one of the weaker trade markets they've seen. Yeah, a Shane Bieber at some point, uh, the Cleveland Guardians will be out there. But here's one of the – I mean, we saw last year the Red Sox were kind of in it, but not really that in it. And what a decision did Bloom make? He added a little bit, but then he traded Christian Vasquez. Like, he kind of did that sort of thing. And you know what? With the current team, given the fact that they're in the same division as the Tampa Bay Rays, right now the best team in baseball, the Baltimore Orioles, the Yankees, who are gathering momentum and have a really you know, deep pitching staff, especially, and that'll be even more when Carlos Rodon comes back, do the Red Sox, does the front office believe that it has a shot to play at that level? 
I, I, I think the objective answer at this moment would be no. And so I think the Red Sox just simply have to play better in order to put themselves in that position where maybe they would decide, yeah, it's worth expending the resources to try to catch some of the best teams in the AL. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Buster, I know you are not a prospects guy inherently, so I'm going to ask you kind of an offshoot question here. Uh, Marcelo Meyer is the Red Sox top prospect. He's the number five prospect in all of baseball. They just promoted him to double A Portland. And as far as I'm concerned, once you're at double A, it's fair to start wondering when we might see you in the majors. He's obviously young. I don't I don't think we'll see him this year. But next year, Kike Hernandez is a free agent. I could see an infield of Meyer and Story on opening day. You saw the Yankees and kind of what they did with Anthony Volpe. Kind of give me the comparison and kind of how quick he accelerated, if it's fair for me to wonder if Meyer's on the same track. Yeah, I would agree with you. Now, if he goes to, you know, if he in double A, he absolutely crushes it, then maybe that becomes an option. We talked about, you know, the trade market and what uh, improvements the Red Sox could seek during the course of summer he potentially would be an option there where he could feel like, look, we, we don't want to spend a bunch of resources to go and make a trade for a guy with another team. Maybe this is a potential internal solution. But I will tell you that when I've been around the Red Sox this year, the refrain I keep hearing from the folks in the organization is, look, we think Trevor Story is going to be back and he's going to be a factor for us at shortstop. I'm skeptical, uh, you know, given the nature of his, his past injury, and the time frame, I, I do wonder, and how much they liked him at second base. You know, maybe they put Story there. But the plan now is to finish this year with Story. So that means that next spring, maybe it's a different context. And, and maybe, uh, you know, if he still hasn't gotten to the big leagues, they promote him in the spring, as you say, like Volpe. And, and everything I hear about the kid is off the charts, excellent, high-impact type guy. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he ascends, how he progresses. You know, I think we're getting closer and closer to seeing Tristan Casas get demoted. And I'm shocked that I'm saying that because I really thought that he was going to come and be an impact player really from day one. And here is his batting average is under 200. The body language you can see is getting a little bit more dejected. He's now sitting more often. I can see Justin Turner playing more first base. Bobby Dahlbeck had seven homers, you know, in in a 13-game stretch at AAA. I can see him coming up. I just think we're starting to see maybe Casas getting a little bit of a mental reset here. I agree with you. And, look, I mean, the most important thing for him this year is to get reps. And if they get to a point where they feel like that he, you know, he's not the best option on a given day, then maybe you send him down to the minor leagues, you let him beat up minor league pitching for a while, restore his confidence, work on some mechanical things, make some adjustments. And, and you know this. Uh, there have been so many examples of guys, you know, touted prospects who've got the big leagues. They struggle. They might even go back to the minor leagues. Hall of Famer George Brett was a great example of that. Uh, and then they come back up and they just rake. I know this. He has a unique talent in terms of his domination of the strike zone, his ability to control the strike zone, and that's a great baseline from which to work. But he might need a, you know, a tune-up, so to speak, a pit stop down in the minor leagues to get back on track. You know, it's amazing. I, you know this obviously way better than I do, but I know how hard major leaguers work before games, right? We see the game at 7, but before that, there's hours of infield work and throwing practice and bullpens and batting practice. So I know that guys put in the work. 
But why is it that with all that work, the Red Sox can't seem to make inroads defensively? I mean, yesterday, again, a crucial Devers error opened the door for that loss against the Reds, and they weren't particularly good defensively and getting down 8 nothing on uh, on Tuesday. So Alex Cora, to me, is one of his strengths uh, as a manager is believing in his players in speaking that out loud and making the players you know, feel like that they can conquer anything. Uh, and some players, you know, respond to that. I don't think Chris Dale would have made the, you know, the, the improvement this year if Alex Cora wasn't his manager. I just think he's got an important, important voice in that. But I would say this, when you talk to folks with other teams, you know, when Alex was talking about Kike Hernandez being a great option at shortstop or, you know, Devers, uh, they don't buy it. They don't take that at face value. You know, what you hear differently is, yeah, uh, we don't. We think it's going to be a problem with Kike playing shortstop, and he has what eleven errors as yeah. you and I talk uh, so far this year. You can't hide from the fact that when your shortstop's on a pace to make thirty errors, that's a problem. Uh, and so, uh, I think the the bottom line is they don't necessarily have a lot of great defenders. Devers is not considered by other teams to be a plus defender. Kike is not a plus defender. Costas is not viewed as a plus defender. Yoshida, for sure. You and I have talked about that. Uh, you know, Duran had his issues last year. Verdugo is, you know, one of the guys actually considered to be, at, when he's at his best, someone who can, you know, make an impact on defense. But I don't think they have a lot of guys who necessarily be viewed as being great defenders. Buster, a couple of things here off the beaten path. One, I'm just going to brag for a second. I got a chance to go out to Cooperstown last week for the Hall of Fame Classic, and I've been there before. Um, I was actually the bullpen catcher at it for two years, but this wow. was yeah, this was my first time um, covering it as a media member. I got a chance to catch up with a bunch of guys with Red Sox ties. I talked with Josh Reddick about his time in Boston, and Ryan Lavarnway, and Pokey Reese about being on the 4 Red Sox, and then I went and talked to all the uh, all the old Mariners guys that I could. So that was a really that was a really fun event and as someone who gets to cover fun events all the time it was fun to be like you for a day oh <laughs> well I appreciate that yeah I mean that that but I, I tell you what I've never caught a bullpen session the closest thing I think I came to that was Mike Messina you know who's in the Hall of Fame now was uh, was throwing one day and I was standing on the side and he was it was a bullpen session and he said hey you want to stand in and watch me pitch and I'm like no, because my jaw would be broken uh, if you don't command your fastball. My jaw would be broken before I even realized that that it happened. Uh, so kudos to you for having the you know the wherewithal to be a catcher in that situation. It is fun. I tell people all the time the coolest part of my job is I get to talk to people who are the best in the world at what they do on a daily basis. Uh, and you got that experience, and that's really neat. I caught bullpens for Steve Avery, the former Braves pitcher, Todd Jones, the wow. former the former Tigers closer, Carl Pavano, who was representing the Twins in this game, although he played for the Yankees and the Marlins too. And I sat next to Hideki Matsui on the uh, way back from the uh, from the event to the Clark Sports Center, and he was looking at Japanese Facebook. I also played catch with Alfonso Soriano, Jock Jones, Phil Necro, and I threw one over Brady Andrews. Anderson's head, and he was not particularly uh, thrilled with that development. Well, it's funny. I have connections with just about all those players. I'd love to know how you did against Phil Negro's knuckleball. <laughs> uh, I did. I did okay just playing catch on it. Hey, Buster. Finally, um, Sarah Langs is someone that we have talked about 
here uh, with you before. She's a researcher for MLB.com. She used to be at ESPN. She was on the Baseball Tonight podcast, still goes on the Baseball Tonight podcast a lot with you, and my brother worked with both of you uh, on that podcast. He knows her as well. She's been on this show before. She is is battling ALS. She's one of the faces of kind of the fight for ALS, especially in baseball. A um, couple cool things have happened with her uh, the last few days. What's going on here? A ton of stuff is happening with her. Like all these initiatives, you know, with Lou Gehrig Day being on Friday, uh, you know, a ton of initiatives on her behalf. She's going to throw out the first pitch at City Field. Uh, Carl Ravitch, my colleague, has been working on this, uh, you know, a Lang Stars that are going to hang in broadcast booths all around baseball, uh, you know, to help raise money, help raise uh, awareness. There's going to be something with the Yankees, which I can't tell you about. At ESPN mm. tomorrow, you know, a documentary we've been working at with Sarah is going to land, uh, and you will see that. And she wrote a first-person piece for our website that's going to come out tomorrow. She's an amazing person, uh, you know, to get this diagnosis at age 28. Just absolutely heartbreaking. But her attitude is she just wants to plow forward and work. And she doesn't really like being the center of attention. I asked her about it earlier this week. I'm like, oh, my God, this week you're going to be everywhere. And she said she texted, you know, her best friend, Mandy Bell, uh, on Monday and was like, I am so sick of myself already. <laughs> like, <laughs> she is the, the greatest person. Uh, and, you know, I think we should all follow her example in terms of how she's living out each day, extracting everything she can out of each day. It's been amazing to you know, to watch her response to this, uh, you know, since she got this diagnosis back in the summer of 21. Well, if you don't know Sarah Langs or don't remember her from this show, you may know her social media catchphrase, baseball is the best. She certainly is right about that. Buster, you're the best as well when it comes to Red Sox Insight. We appreciate it. Enjoy Sunday Night Baseball, Yankees, Dodgers, and we'll talk in, uh, in seven days. Brady, thank you. Absolutely, thank you, Buster. Only Buster standing in against Mike Mussina. Well, he didn't want to, but interesting that he had a chance to stand in against Mike Mussina. Uh, seriously, Sarah Langs, we've had her on this show twice. You may or may not remember that name. She is a researcher for, for MLB.com. A lot of the stats I use on this show come from her. She is that good at what she does. Her insight is that good. Her infection for baseball is that good, or her infectious nature for baseball is that good. She is 30 years old, has ALS, is fighting it every single day, and uh, we wish her the best. Tomorrow is Lou Gehrig Day, and so you may see Sarah Lang's various things in ballparks and, and scoreboards, etc., around the sport. Um, you know, just uh, you know, recognize that she was on this show and, and wish her your best. She is very much in the minority of being a woman who has ALS and very much in the minority of being someone that age who has ALS. So tomorrow is Lou Gehrig Day. I'm glad to see Buster says there's a lot of stuff going on for Sarah and therefore for the fight uh, against ALS. So uh, we wish her certainly all the best, and she's been good to this show in the past. It's 5.59. We'll get the CBS News update. We'll come back. We'll recap some of what Buster had to say. We'll do it next on DEV. Brady Farkas show now has an interactive text line. So reach out now at 802-585-3026. The Colorado Nuggets, she says. Back to the Brady Farkas Show on <laughs> WDEV AM, <laughs> FM, and WDEVradio.com. Oh, the Colorado Nuggets. That's what it's like, people, when sport when people who are not sports people try to talk about sports. And look, I don't want to make fun of them too much because <clears throat> I am positive that there is something politically that I have been forced, that I have had to talk about on the news, and I have screwed up. 
that I have called something the wrong name or mispronounced something. I can barely say the word appropriation. I get it. So it doesn't just happen to them. But it's nice to know that it happens to them too. Here I am at WDEV doing the news thing, which is out of my comfort zone, and I'm sure I've butchered something. But there, the CBS News people butcher sports. The Colorado Nuggets. There you go. The Colorado Chicken McNuggets. That makes me feel good. I'm so, I'm sorry, Wendy Gillette. That makes me feel good to know. It doesn't just happen to me. When we're out of our comfort zones, the potential is there to happen to anybody. Thanks to Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider. Buster's the best as always. That interview will be up in just a couple of minutes on our podcast channel. We love talking to him every week. Uh, we'll, we'll probably do more on this stuff tomorrow because we'll have 40 minutes tomorrow. And we don't have any guests for tomorrow. I, I purposely planned it that way to just kind of just talk with you for the 40 minutes. I think we might see Marcelo Meyer opening day next year. Really. And I have shot down everybody who's talked about Marcelo Meyer for the last year and a half. Now that he's in double A, now it's time to talk about him. Now it's time to think about him being a viable, realistic candidate for this roster. When you're in double A, you're one step from the majors. Okay. Triple A is like your one call away. Double A is your one step away. I've seen plenty of people go right from double A to triple A. I think Juan DeFranco did it. Julio Rodriguez did it. The top prospects in baseball go from double A to triple A. Or go from double A to the majors all the time. And it started to happen more and more and more recently. So if Marcelo Meyer goes and plays a hundred games at double A this year and is there through September or 130 games, whatever it might be and does well, then I can reasonably see a path to him being the opening day middle infielder for the Red Sox next year. Look, Kike Hernandez is a free agent. You're not going to, so he's not going to be your shortstop next year. Even if he's back with the Red Sox, you'd want him as an outfielder, not as a shortstop. Christian Arroyo, has played only 27 games this year. Certainly has he's never played more than 87 games. He exhibits no, you know, gives you no faith that he's going to be the guy long term. So, middle infield's open next year. Yu Chang's not the guy. Pablo Reyes is not the guy. Aldoberto Mondesi's not the guy. So, Trevor Story is one of the two guys, and Marcelo Meyer might very well be the other guy. I can easily draw a path towards Marcelo Meyer. The Red Sox top prospect and the number five prospect in all of baseball, I can draw a line to him being a starting middle infielder for the Red Sox next year. Maybe stories at short and Myers at second, maybe Myers at short and stories at second, but I could see him being on the team. Sox have dropped a couple in a row here. In Cincy, they are, or against Cincy, they're 28 and 27. The Reds are 26 and 29. Hunter Green, 1 and 4 with a 4-1-8. On the mound for the Reds, Chris Sale, 5 and 2 with a 4-7-2. And dropping is on the mound for the Red Sox. Kevin Newman's at third. Matt McLean's at short. Jonathan India's at second. Spencer Steer is at first. Tyler Stevenson, the DH. Stuart Fairchild in right. Nick Sendell, uh, Senzel, excuse me, is in left. We've got the Grand Slam man in center uh jose barrero and then batting in the nine spot today is kirk casale the catcher for the Sox, alex verdugo in right rafael devers at third justin turner the dh masataka yoshida in left 
Jared Duran in center, Kike Hernandez at short, Tristan Casas at first, Connor Wong the catcher, and Manuel Valdez is at second. He homered yesterday. He bats ninth. Thanks to Buster Olney. We will see you tomorrow, everybody. Go download the full show podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. Continue to stay cool. We'll be back at it in 24 hours. Go Sox. We'll talk about what we saw. We'll do it tomorrow at 530 on DEV.